Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Podcast Network. Today is Monday, February 17th, 2020. Happy to be here with you. And today is, uh, this is episode seven, and excited to be here with you. Our uh, topic for today is on streaming. And uh, obviously, this is something that you are all familiar with in terms of whether you're streaming Netflix or Amazon Prime Video or Hulu or Showtime or if you're using Roku or, you know, if you're into Disney Plus or Apple Plus, whatever it might be, there's a lot of streamers out there and there's more coming. You know, HBO Max via Warner Media, Peacock via NBC Universal. Um, you know, obviously streaming has become a, uh, a big issue, right? And so I think ultimately, um, but there is some sort of commentary here with regard to, um, the availability of streaming in terms of, uh, looking at some of the numbers behind streaming and specifically where there's room for growth. So when we look at it sort of first first glance, we might say, oh, wow, you know, streaming is really dominating. But when we actually look at the numbers in terms of who is streaming and where things are going, it's definitely a part of the future. But I think the numbers actually show that there's a ton of room for growth. So I think it, it goes without saying that streaming has definitely taken the entertainment, media, and sports industries by storm. And um, it's disrupted how business is done in Hollywood and beyond whether that be in Silicon Valley or whatever it might be, but there's definitely been a tech influence and a, a sort of a new business model, so to speak. And there's been some talk about whether the new streaming is really just cable of old and, and that sort of, sort of now there's so many channels you can get streaming on in terms of where it used to be channels. Now it's just streaming platforms. We'll get into a little bit of that. I think it's a little bit different from that, but uh, some of the numbers. So there was a Hollywood Reporter article recently talking about Warner Media, and there was a few quotes that I pulled uh, from that article, and uh, one of them basically begins like this. So begin quote: uh, While new streaming shows um, accounted for just seven percent of Warner Media's original commissions in the fourth quarter of 2018. By the fourth quarter of 2019, streaming commissions represented 73% of Warner Media's new projects. So we're talking about in the span of a year, Warner Media has gone from 7% to 73% in terms of the commissions they're making off of streaming. That is a phenomenal uh, and a fantastic number and really sort of um, some terrific growth there with regard to that. And to put those percentages in context of actual programming, uh, in a separate uh, Hollywood Reporter article, there was another quote that was pulled out that I pulled out. And it said, um, essentially, in 2019 alone, a mind-boggling 646,152 unique program titles were available across every linear and streaming outlet. So that includes, obviously, linear television and all streamers. However, that staggering number does not count individual quotes or um, episodes. So, in uh, continuing on with the quote, 
only 9% of those, again, the 646,152 titles are available on uh, SVOD or streaming video on demand services like Netflix, Hulu or, Am Hulu or Amazon's Prime Video. And 16% are exclusive to linear TV. The greatest share of programs, about two thirds, can be accessed via transactional video on demand, buying or renting a show through Amazon, Apple, a cable company, or another provider. So again, we're talking about a growth of 7% to 73% in a year period just at Warner Media. first. Second, we're talking about a massive amount of content, 646,000, but only 9% of that included was included on uh, or appeared on SVOD uh, platforms like Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon. So obviously some terrific areas for growth. And what it seems like is most people are going to Amazon and Apple and other cable companies or another provider to get their movies and television shows and to purchase them on an individual basis, which is somewhat interesting because I think the math on that would show that it's actually cheaper to just get the platform and pay the 10 to $15 a month versus for unlimited content, um, you know, versus uh, paying individually. But um, I think that's a, that's probably a question for another day and probably unique to the consumer, right? Now, sort of moving on in, in this, we've looked at some of the entertainment aspects of content, but sports has a play here too. There was a Guardian, uh, the Guardian ran an article recently talking about the Premier League and how the Premier League will eventually sell matches on a, on a Netflix style channel. Now, the interesting part about that is that that article goes on to talk about Netflix and how matches will be sold. But the interesting thing is that Netflix is obviously a subscription model, right? You sign up and you get unlimited content on that platform. There's no additional fees. There's no commercials, whatever. Premier League uh, platform will be a little bit different because I'm sure that they will have commercials, at least some advertisements to help pay for uh, the platform and, and to make some extra money. And then the other part is, is that individual matches will be sold. So it's almost like it's a video on demand and really is a video on demand subscription platform, which is not normally the case. Usually video on demand, you can, anybody can access it. You just basically put your credit card info in or whatever you, however you're paying through PayPal or whatever and you can watch whatever videos, but there's no subscription. So this would come to be a combination um, where you'd have Premier League games being sold on an individual level, possibly even as a package uh, on a Netflix-style platform. So we'll see how that plays out, whether that's accepted by consumers. But I think there is definitely a need and a want for consumers consuming uh, sports content on a streaming um, you know, platform. Uh, you know, sort of in addition to that, the Premier Golf League has uh, um, just popped up, and that's something that some of the top golf stars have been asked about, but they've been somewhat mum on it because of the PGA, the Professional Golf Association, and trying to be respectful of the existing program there. But there's a great article that appeared um, that I uh, that appeared on ESPN talking about the Premier Golf League. Definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, some very interesting rules and um, sort of changes to how uh, the golf sort of program would be um, would be sort of played out. The game would obviously stay the same for the most part, but there'd be some some definite rule changes. And uh, so again, I encourage you to check that out. And of course, with Flow Sports, uh, DAZN, ESPN Plus, and Spotify, 
These are all sort of rather new platforms that allow for streaming. And whether that be visual or even um, podcast uh, streaming content, which of course can be visual as well if you're recording in studio, um, you know, with a camera versus just doing the uh, listening aspect like we're doing here. So, uh, and again, I think with the above that we, what we've just talked about, there's three major areas for growth with streaming. For one, sports is not fully committed to streaming, and that's partly because of waiting for 5G technology to develop and be distributed, uh, where sports is mostly stuck to live broadcast on linear channels like ABC, ESPN, Fox, and CBS. And of course, Amazon has gotten into this a little bit with uh, Thursday night streaming, um, Twitter has done a little bit of this. Hulu's done a little bit of this for the NHL, but, um, you know, sort of see how that plays out. And of course the Hulu one makes sense because Disney owns Hulu and ABC and ESPN. So that would be a pretty easy sort of fix, uh, to sort of stream that uh, hockey content on there since they have existing deals, uh, you know, with them. Secondly, st uh, more streamers and the existence of streamers makes, um, Moore's law, on exponential growth more likely. Now take a little break here just real quick to explain Moore's Law. So Moore's Law basically is an economic principle that says that in in essentially layman's terms and simple terms and the way that I can best explain it would be that anytime that you have technology, technology will allow for things to advance much more quickly and exponentially and technology makes things cheaper. You notice how when you go buy a television it's uh, generally very expensive, right? The brand new, you know, 70 inch, you know, television with the highest tech. But then over years, right, you can go back to Best Buy or whatever you're doing it on Amazon, purchase that TV for, for half or maybe the quarter of the price. And that's because technology is, has advanced and it makes it cheaper to produce things. Well, content works the same way. So as Moore law, Moore's Law applies to exponential growth in entertainment, you have these technological advancements that make it cheaper to produce great and more diverse content. Lastly, and really third to this, Hollywood mostly has exported content overseas. You know, we see this when a movie's developed, right? And you go, okay, developed and distributed, and you have, let's say, make $100 million in the United States in box office revenue, but then overseas it makes 300, you know, 300 million. And part of that is because obviously the population is bigger overseas compared to just the United States um, as sort of one country. But then the other aspect to all of this is that, um, you know, that, um, you know, ultimately that uh, there's a lot more content um, overseas that can be sort of exported to the United States versus the other way around. So streaming allows for that. It allows for international content to be consumed inside the United States in a much easier fashion. And this is especially true as the American populace uh, diversifies. And, you know, with, with folks arriving on America's shores, um, you know, immigrating to this country, um, you know, on one hand, they'll both want to assimilate into American culture and learn the culture, but they're also going to want to have some sort of historical nod uh, to their past. And that can be partially done through entertainment content. And of course, all of this is backed up by significant growth uh, overseas and streaming subscriptions. We've seen this with Netflix where uh, maybe stateside subscriptions have sort of fallen um, or at least stayed somewhat uh, relatively stable. Although I know in the last quarter, Netflix lost customers um, with what the market has mainly say, said was due to Disney Plus's entrance into the market. 
Um, but again, significant growth in subscriptions overseas as in India and, and, um, and in Asia, Japan, a few other places. Obviously, Netflix is not allowed in China at this point, but that's obviously a huge market. So we'll see how that all that plays out. And then sort of, you know, again, going back to the initial comment of what we talked about in the beginning, where we were um, sort of this idea that is streaming just really the cable channels of old, and you eventually have to buy a bunch of channels to get the content you want. Well, I think in comparison, you know, cable and satellite, you know, you're talking about thousands of channels, right? And then a lot, obviously a lot of those channels you didn't even want. Well, with streaming, we're really talking about five to 10 streamers that are really sort of top notch in terms of producing and distributing um, well-recognized and uh, sort of a, a sort of large amount of content. The Netflixes, the Amazon Prime Video, the Hulu, the Showtime, the soon-to-be HBO Max, you know, these types of things, right? The soon-to-be Peacock via NBC Universal. I mean, that's really five, six platforms. I mean, that's not a lot. And with each of those costing 10 to $15, sometimes less, I guess you could throw Disney Plus and Apple Plus in there as well. Um, although that's a little bit more of niche content and uh, smaller in terms of sort of uh, size of content, right? But again, we're talking about under 10 platforms, and frankly, you could have all of those platforms for anywhere between $50 to $100 a month, which is still less than the cable bill. Probably get all of them for $50, depending on pricing and cost and whether there's bundling going on. But there is sort of a point to be made about customer sort of subscription fatigue when you have that many platforms, and will people sort of choose not to engage in one platform versus another? Uh, that was definitely the case when Netflix lost subscribers to Disney Plus most recently. But I think what's different with streaming compared to cable and satellite is that, again, as we mentioned, it's still cheaper. And with Moore's Law, it's going to become even more cheaper and easier to access content. And it's still cheaper than cable and satellite uh, bill prices. And the other thing is, is that with streaming, there's more room for growth because pricing is relatively low. And there's still no commercials and customers value that. And, you know, they value the sort of the Burger King sort of, um, you know, the make it the way that you want it and and that sort of thing, right? They um, you remember those commercials back in the day and their tagline. And um, so I think sort of streaming is in, is in that vein too, where people enjoy that control. And again, as we talked about, according to that uh, Hollywood Reporter article, only 9% of content is currently streamed exclusively on subscription on video on demand platforms like Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. So that's you know you have ninety, you know ninety one percent sort of room for growth there potentially. You know right as people move away from linear television and move on to streaming. So we'll see how that plays out. I think overall, uh, those who own streaming platforms and or the content, sometimes both are set up for long-term success in terms of profits and engagement on platforms, potential for gamification on some of those platforms as well. Um, you know, obviously with betting, uh, there's uh, there's that aspect too, specifically with, with regard to sports. So uh, significant areas for growth uh, with consumers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So folks, um, again, this week's topic was on sort of it's just the beginning streaming and um, 
I think that uh, there's some potential room for growth here. And I think that, um, you know, uh, potential for uh, more platforms, potential for more content, potential for sports entering the space, potential for uh, additional international content. So, folks, that's it for this week. Uh, This was Episode 7 of Believe in Sports Law. And we'll look forward to uh, being back with you next week for Episode 8. And uh, again, this is Jeremy Evans, your host, Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.